Thank you, Jim. Uh, thank the Rippon Society for having me back uh, after some of the last things I talked about. Last year, you know, we were talking about the realities of where we were as a country. It was a pretty depressing view, and, uh, and yet y'all still invited me back, so I appreciate that. Uh, the good news is there is a lot more excitement. There's a lot more enthusiasm, and, and frankly, for the country, I think there's a lot more opportunity coming because of what happened just a few months ago and what's about to happen on Friday of next week when Donald Trump gets sworn in. And when you look at this new House and Senate, it's, uh, it's a lot of enthusiasm for all the right reasons. But, you know, we also have to recognize just what's ahead of us. And in, in our House conference, we've been talking about this a lot. Uh, but if you think about this unique opportunity, I think it's important as we're laying out the 100-day plan and the 200-day plan and we're getting ready to go to Philadelphia in a few weeks uh, to really talk about how we're going to accomplish all the things that we want to accomplish and that the, the people of this country are, are wanting and hoping for us to accomplish. I think it's important to get the perspective of where we are and how unique it is. Because while we're celebrating the victory, you know, and just like maybe eight years ago, some people thought, you know, the Republican Party is dead, they're never going to win the White House again, you look at the Electoral College, there's surely no way they can get to 270. They were right, we didn't get to 270, we broke 100. But it's a unique moment in time because literally, right now, the, the moment that we face as Republicans, House, Senate, and White House, this is only the third time in the history of the country that a Republican president has walked in to the White House with a Republican House and Senate. And the last time it happened under George Bush, it only lasted eight months because Jim Jeffords famously jumped uh, and switched parties eight months into that majority. Uh, so you don't know how long this window is going to last. You know, you'd like to think it's going to last forever. History tells you it's probably not. So you better go make the most of it. And, you know, to some people they think, oh, gee whiz, are y'all going to be able to deliver? Y'all have to do all these things. Are you... I mean, this is why we ran for Congress. This is why we came up here for moments like this, and most people never get them. And so it's an exciting time. Uh, and it's a time of re resolve where we all know what we have to do. Our colleagues, they're all here. I appreciate uh, seeing all my colleagues because uh, they're ready to get to work. You know, we're starting off already very quickly. Uh, we passed a few bills last week, got the RAINS Act out of the House again. Uh, a bill that was important, would have been a great piece of legislation. We knew President Obama would never sign it. Donald Trump wants to get that bill on his desk, and we sure do too. Something that will really get the economy moving again. But we're starting off with the budget. Because the budget, uh, we weren't able to do a budget last year. In a lot of ways, it turned out to be a blessing because it gives us the chance to do something that's never been done since the 1974 Budget Act, and that is to have two budgets and two reconciliation bills in the same fiscal year. It hadn't happened before. And so we've got to move quickly because by the time you get to the, the March-April budget, uh, that re reconciliation opportunity eliminates the previous one. So we've got just a few months to get all the things we wanted to get done in this first reconciliation bill. And of course, front and center of that is to repeal and start the replacement of Obamacare. You know, and so a lot of people in town are talking about this. Oh, you know, do y'all really want to repeal Obamacare? And, you know, what about replace? And what's it going to look like? And, you know, should you do it all at once? And I think what's real important is to go back uh, to something that we started talking about last year. We put together an agenda. We actually laid out uh, this better way agenda. You know, Paul Ryan, our speaker, great visionary leader, and, uh, and he said, we want to tell the country what we stand for. The presidential race, a lot of the debates weren't really getting into a lot of the details until it finally shored up where you had Trump against Hillary. 
Uh, so in the meantime, we actually laid out what we stand for. And one of the items front and center of that was we promised to the American people we would repeal Obamacare. And amazingly, you get to Washington now and people are marveling at the, the concept of politicians actually following through on something they promised the American people they would do. We're going to do it. We're starting this week. We're going to have the budget once the Senate finishes with it. We're going to pass a budget. And then we're going to start moving methodically, not swiftly, not just blindly, but in a very deliberative way with a plan to not just repeal, but to replace this law. This law didn't get here overnight. It took six years. I was on the Energy and Commerce Committee. Tim Murphy, my colleague here, was on the Energy and Commerce Committee when the bill first went through. And I'll tell you, we had hearings for months. All of them were on C-SPAN, real contentious, divided debates. And then after that, it took years for them to start implementing. In about six years, they finally rolled out a website. You know, you basically get about five college kids and a couple of free cases of beer, and they could build a website to take orders for you <laughs> to buy a product. But for some reason, the federal government, after six years under Barack Obama and over $500 million of taxpayer money, could not figure out how to build a website to take your order on healthcare.gov. Uh, so that's how Obamacare started, and it's been a disaster ever since. And I think it's important that as we start the repeal process, we first continue to go back and remind the American people how this law has failed. Every one of us, every member of Congress, knows thousands of people in our districts that lost their health care that they liked. It is devastating health care. It's devastating families. It's costing jobs. Every small business tells me when I go back home, the biggest impediment they have to hiring people are the rules and regulations coming out of Washington, starting with Obamacare. So I think it's important first that we remind everybody just why we're doing it. This isn't just about some campaign pledge. We pledged it because the law is not working. The president built this thing on a whole bunch of broken promises, none of which have been fulfilled, and it's time that we actually fulfill a promise in Washington, and that is to first repeal the law and then start putting the elements to replace it. And this isn't all being done in a vacuum. We've been working for months with members of Congress. You know, when I was chairman of the Republican Study Committee, like Rick talked about, we put together with medical doctors in Congress an alternative. And interestingly, I asked Phil Rowe, who's a medical doctor, to, to lead that effort when I was RC chairman. But I pulled in some other people, including this, this uh, I don't know how well any of you know this doctor from Georgia named Tom Price. Tom Price was part of that bill. Of course, Tom's put legislation forward himself that's really good patient-centered reforms that focus on replacing and uh, could be no better HHS secretary coming in at this time in our country's history than Tom Price and so I, I like touting RFC chairman not just because I was one but because Tom Price was one Mike Pence is one we uh, we have a good fraternity and, uh, and it was exciting having Mike Pence come back to our con our conference I think Mike Pence is gonna turn out to be uh, an incredibly uh, important vice president and you know, vice presidents, their roles have, have varied over the years, but I think you're gonna see Mike playing a very active role. He already is playing a very active role in the Trump administration, and of course, has such great relationships with us in the House, and we've been meeting with him a lot. We've been, you know, the speaker has been talking to President-elect Trump on a very regular basis, but we've also been working with Mike Pence a lot about how we can actually get some of these things moved through the process, both into law, some of the administrative things that they have to have have to do, but you, you've got three real buckets of replace, you know, because if you start with repeal, and that's the first place you have to start, you can't just kind of work around the edges of this law, because there's so many elements of the law that are devastating what was good about healthcare in America, which 
know, we, we need to remember, again, we still had the best medical delivery system in the world pre-Obamacare. It had problems, cost and access issues that should have been addressed back then and weren't, but ultimately those problems have gotten worse, both cost and access. As more and more people leave the marketplace, costs continue to go up by double digits. So the first thing we're going to be focusing on is putting reforms in place that get back to lowering costs. Some of those things we can actually do and replace. Now, in the repeal bill, in the reconciliation bill, with 51 votes in the Senate, it's very important that we handle that properly because if we put too much in the House version, then it jeopardizes your privilege in the Senate. You don't have the 51 vote opportunity instead of 60 vote. So on the Senate floor, they're going to be testing some more of those things, and whatever passes through the parliamentarians' muster of what fits with the Byrd rule, then you can put all of that in. And then there's other parts of it that we're going to have to pass a standalone bill. And yeah, that's going to take 60 votes in the Senate. Some people are worried about that. Well, gee whiz, the Democrats aren't going to want to help us. You know, Chuck Schumer's given the indication right now that he's not going to want to help us. But it's a whole lot different story for Chuck Schumer uh, than when Air Force One lands in Missouri and Donald Trump, as the President of the United States, is asking the people of Missouri, do you actually want to be able to buy your insurance across state lines like you buy every other product? Something that's going to lower costs, create real competition, let families have real options. And if Claire McCaskill, and there's a whole host of other Democrats that you can fill in the blank on, if they're standing in the way of those kind of reforms, it's not going to be a good day. It's not going to be something that you can actually go out and defend. I, I surely couldn't defend how I would stop constituents in my district from having those kind of options. And there's a lot of other things in our replace plan that fit that same template. And so we're going to work very hard on putting those other reforms in place. But even without those things, there are a lot of levers of power that fall in the hands of the HHS secretary. And if you go back to the beginning of Obamacare, whether it was Secretary Sebelius uh, or where we are now, you've got a lot of power in that office that has not been used, I would argue, uh, to the benefit of people that actually, families that actually buy health care plans. I mean, when Sebelius was before our Committee on Energy and Commerce, right after Obamacare started taking effect, and we, we had a hearing with Sebelius, and I, I asked her a question. I reached out to my constituents and said, tell me your experiences. And all of a sudden, I started getting flooded with cancellation notices, people who told me that they lost it in health care that they had. And I asked Sebelius, because she put a lot of these rules in place, a lot of it was rules, a lot of it wasn't in the law itself, that forced all of those plans to pull back options, to, to cancel good plans. And I said, Madam Secretary, you promised people, and the President promised people, if you like what you have, you can keep it. And here are real people who lost their plans. What do you tell to those people that believed you? And she said, I would tell them they had a lousy plan. I mean, it's the most condescending thing you could ever imagine. Because as HHS Secretary, she had the power, still over at HHS they have the power, to define what is an eligible plan that you can buy. And ultimately, that power now falls in the hands of soon-to-be HHS Secretary Price, who understands as a doctor what a patient-centered plan is supposed to look like. So we've been working through all of these issues in a very methodical way. But at the end of the day, it's all about focusing on, as, as when Vice President-elect Pence came back to our, uh, our conference just a few days ago, he said, the three things that President-elect Trump has focused on are jobs, jobs, and jobs. And that's getting the economy back on track. You know, Starting with Obamacare, right behind it, we're going to move on tax reform. And there's already a lot of movement. I see Jim here from Ways and Means Committee. The Ways and Means Committee has been very actively engaged in how to make our country competitive again, which we're not. 
uh, with the highest industrial tax rate in the world. And there are a lot of really good ideas that are being bounced around that we're going to be able to move on quickly. You know, and in the world of Washington, to be able to move a lot of these big ideas in a matter of months, where we can get these bills on the president's desk in the first few months of his administration is going to have an incredibly positive effect on the economy. And you're already seeing the economy react in really positive ways. And that's what it's all about. It's about helping rebuild the middle class. It's about helping create opportunities for people that don't. And we're excited about it because it's, I think it's been a long time coming. I think you've seen a lot of people just kind of you know, moping around wondering, is this the new normal? Are we ever going to be able to see real economic growth and real opportunities for people to build that middle class back and make America great again? And yes, we do have it now. And so we're excited about it. We know that there's a lot of work that's going to be involved in making it happen. Uh, but as you can see on our schedule, we've already gotten started. And, uh, and there's no slowing down. So uh, I'm excited about where we are. I know y'all uh, you know, probably have some questions about all of that, but I hope this has been a little bit more cheery than the last time I spoke to you. <laughs> if, if you can't tell, it's because I have never been more excited about the prospects for our country uh, since I've been in public office. So uh, thank you for having me.